This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Titan Size Podcast. I'm Luke Worsham, joined by the other two hosts of the Titan Size Podcast, Matthias Wadner and Will Lomas. Yesterday, the Titans participated in a real barn burner against the Miami Dolphins. It ended with a final score of 16-10. It was a battle of, or it was a quarterback battle of the century, um, Matt Castle versus Jay Cutler who retired to go into broadcasting and then was brought out of broadcasting for $10 million because the reason he went into broadcasting was because no one wanted him. And yet, after Ryan Tannehill's injury, people thought that he was, I don't know. Jay Cutler is not a good quarterback, and neither is Matt Castle. Uh, Agreed. Jay Cutler threw for 92 yards in this game, and we still couldn't beat them because we have our own version of Jay Cutler, although he might be even worse, uh, and his name is Matt Castle. But uh, regardless of that, uh, this game should have been 17-9, to and we should have won. Uh, the refs completely uh, gave the game to the Dolphins, to put it bluntly. Um, but even with uh, those bounces not going our way, this was just a, a painful watch all the way through. Uh, and I don't really have any takeaways... Uh, from this game, positively at least, except, um, well, I don't know if it's positive, but I just know that we need Mariota back uh, and we need L- Luan back as soon as possible. Yeah, I mean, talking about the quarterbacks, uh, Matt Castle is kind of Jay Cutler without the arm strength. It, just to give you kind of a reference point of where everybody ended up, uh, he just has a much better supporting cast. I mean, you know, we, we, we'll talk about it in detail, but, you know, the only real positive from this game is Adoree Jackson. But So let, yeah. let's, let's start out talking yeah. about Adoree so that we can get all of the, the positives out of the way so that we can be very negative <laughs> for the rest of this, this episode. Um, I, I've said it before on here. Adoree Jackson is <laughs> supremely talented. Uh, we've talked about his punt return abilities, and every single week it gets better in coverage. Yesterday, he forced a fumble, had a pass breakup in the end zone on what would have been a, a deep bomb touchdown in which Jay Cutler probably had mm-hmm. his best throw in five or six years. Um, so, Adoree Jackson, very good draft pick who uh, is proving a lot of people wrong, especially a lot of people who think that he's still not very good. Uh, yeah, he's proven me wrong um, because I... I've talked about this enough already, but uh, I really liked uh, Tredavious White coming out uh, as a cornerback prospect, uh, and I really wanted him at 18, even before the draft team started. Uh, I said the two guys I wanted to come away with uh, in the first round were Corey Davis and Tredavious White. Well, we came away with one, and then we went with a different corner, and Adoree Jackson, who uh, 
I guess was was definitely more raw at the cornerback position. Uh, had it been playing it as long or as well as uh, White did in college. Uh, so I was a little bit skeptical about Jackson coming in, um, but he's uh, laid all my worries to waste uh, to this point. Uh, he's been really good, even though PFF has said that his first four weeks weren't very good. They were very good. Uh, <laughs> and he, he's, been, he's been holding his own, and he's gotten more comfortable uh, every game, and he's gone up against some pretty pretty good receivers uh, thus far, uh, and he's more than held his own. Uh, and he's getting better every week, and I'm just really excited about his future. Yeah, I mean, Adore Jackson might already be the best, you know, non-Kevin Byard defensive back on this team. I mean, he's really solid in coverage. He's a great run support player. He's probably one of the most dynamic players in the NFL with the ball in his hands, but, you know, teams are already kicking it away from him and trying to kick it through the back of the end zone to make sure he can't return it. You know, he, he's already affected the Titans in that way, and he's going to go on to be this team's number one or, at worst, number two corner going forward. He's just really solid. You know, he's got some technique things to clean up. His back pedal's not great. It never has been. You know, he, he needs to play with a quarter turn where he's kind of facing the quarterback like um, – kind of like Seattle plays a lot of the time where they let their guys read the ball and kind of attack it in the air. But I mean, he's playing, you know, behind a defensive line that has eight sacks all year. That's, that's third worst in the NFL of the teams that have played, you know, every game so far. Uh, He's, he's not getting a lot of help up front. So when you can sit back and pick off guys like that, it's, you're always going to get, especially when you're the guy that's getting targeted more than anybody else on your team, you're always going to let some plays happen, but people tend to, you know, focus more on the negative than the positive. And this was a very positive game. that's going to get, you know, ignored because of how poorly the offensive played. Yeah. Also another thing about Adori that's not taken into account is our defensive scheme right now is, does not help him at all. Uh, because at one point in yesterday's game, uh, Dick LeBeau had Adore Jackson playing like 15 to 20 yards off his receiver. And his receiver was Jarvis Landry, who has never run a deep route in his entire career. Uh, so, And he caught like a 15-yard pass, obviously, because he had all, all the space in the world. So I don't know what that was. But yeah, Adore Jackson's still playing well, even, even though a lot of things are going against him both schematically and... Uh, in other ways. Yeah. Uh, on that note, now that we've kind of hit the one positive from yesterday's game, uh, <laughs> there's one kind of thing that surrounds all of the negatives. First of all, if you tweeted hashtag fire malarkey yesterday, go home and learn about how football <laughs> works. Because a coach that improves a team's record by six wins in his first season and has a slow start to his second one does not need to be fired. However, it is a reasonable question to ask if, after this season, the Titans should move on from not malarkey, but their offensive coordinators, specifically their defensive coordinator, who has shown to not age like a fine wine, but more like um, Peyton Manning when he was throwing ducks in the Super Bowl or someone like that. So I'll pose that question to you two. Uh, Robisky and uh, Coach LeBeau, what does their future hold and what should their future hold? Uh, let me just say about Malarkey, I don't think he's the problem. Uh, he's not. Outside of maybe, I mean, he's he- not. Outside of maybe like two things that I didn't love from last yesterday's game, which was not going for the fourth and one, 
uh, late in the game. It's, uh, it's actually kind of brilliant forward. on his part that he doesn't call any plays because he can just point to the coordinator and be like, ah, the <laughs> yeah. offense doesn't work because this is the guy that calls the plays. <laughs> Whereas in, in Cleveland, if the Browns don't win a game this year, it's still Hugh Jackson's fault because he's it's the on, one yeah, scheming yeah. everything. Yeah. yeah. So he definitely should have gone for the fourth and one then. He could have just blamed Robisky for the play call if it didn't work, which it probably wouldn't have worked, let's be honest. But... <laughs> And I also thought he should have challenged um, on the last run where Jai uh, got eight or nine yards on the third and seven. I don't know how that happens, even though everyone knew he was going to run. But whatever, that's fine. That's fine. Uh, no one's fault <laughs> other than Dick LeBose. But I, I really don't think Malarkey's the problem. Uh, the problem right now is absolutely the the coordinators. Terry Robisky, just, he just seems lost at times, uh, especially early in games like it's like he doesn't know how to coach in the first quarter. It really doesn't make sense to me. Uh, and I've been I've been talking about Dick LeBeau for like two years already. Um, it's just not working. It, it's clearly not working. When's the last time we had an actually good defensive performance outside of playing against Blake Bortles, who just self-destructs by himself? Um, <laughs> this defense just inspires they, they, no They actually played okay yesterday. They they held the opposing offense yeah, to a yeah. 92 yards passing. That's a pretty impressive performance. I am being sarcastic in saying that. Okay, yeah, because they scored six points in their last two games, so there really wasn't a wasn't too big of a feat. But yeah, you hear the phrases like the Titans are a run first offense, and like last year yeah. the Falcons threw the ball a lot. I just saw someone this week say the Dolphins run a punt first offense. <laughs> All right, the last thing I'm gonna say is I kind I'm kind of getting the feeling right now. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember in 2013 after the season, uh, Mike Munchak was our head coach, uh, and I think the front office wanted him to fire both of his coordinators. I think it was Dow Loggins and Jerry Gray, uh, and he said no, and then they just fired Munchak. And I'm kind of thinking if we don't make the playoffs this year and if things don't get better, Who is Jerry I think we're kind of heading towards a similar. Could use our defensive coordinator. I think it was uh, it was Greg Williams, not Jerry Gray. That was Jerry Gray. I'm looking right at it. Who is uh, that? Jerry, Jerry Gray was our defensive coordinator. He was awful. I don't even remember him. Yeah. It, it, I remember Loggins because he wanted to play backyard football, but... I'm I'm very happy for you that you don't remember the gray era. It was not, not I mean, a good time. I, I watched all the games and like I, I don't know, I just don't remember him. Yeah. It's like some people repress really bad memories. So I don't know, maybe that's what's happening. Okay, so let's talk about the coordinators. Like I if you follow me on Twitter, you know I hate Dick LeBeau rushing three. <laughs> and yet he does it almost every game. Not not almost every game. Every game he does it, and it never works. And in the biggest, you know, biggest spot of the game, it was third and goal. Dick LeBeau rushes three, easy pass over the middle because Jay Cutler's under no pressure, touchdown. You know, that's it's the worst call. It's prevent defense that he's playing, and he's playing it when there's serious. You know, when you're not up by forty points, he's playing it when you're on the goal line in third and goal. It's it's one of the worst calls I've ever seen, and I see it all the time with him. Um, you know, maybe when you have Peak Harrison and you know Lamar Woodley and Casey Hampton and guys like that, 
when you're in Pittsburgh when they're dominating everybody and you've got Troy Polamalu back there and you know maybe when you've got that team you can rush three occasionally and it works. It doesn't work with the Titans and it hadn't over the last few years. Um, offensively, they're a mess. I mean, I can tell you the fr- if we get the ball, which Malarkey's been trying to do more lately because I, n- I know exactly why. It's because he doesn't want to go down seven points and then have a three and out. He'd rather have his three and out and then go down by seven points. He, here, so. Here's my thing about Dick LeBeau. Like, for years, he was known for his exotic third-down blitzes, right? The days mm-hmm. with Troy Polamalu and the Steelers. And I even remember in his early days with the Titans, there was this play where Michael Griffin kept roaming around and Brian Arakpo kept roaming around and the other team had to call a timeout because they were so confused as to what LeBeau was about to do. Now, instead of exotic blitzes, it's like exotic vanilla, if you will, like... Eric Walden as a stand-up linebacker who moves to defensive tackle, and Brian Arakpo drops in coverage, and more like it—it's so bizarre. Some of the things he does, like I've never seen anything like what he's doing on defense before, and it's clearly not working. The only effective blitzes he has are when he sends like safeties or corners. Like when, whenever he's mixing stuff up, uh, stuff up with the linebackers and defensive line, it never works. It's just all they do is they fall into a guy and then they all get stopped and then there's a huge area over the middle of the field that's open for like a ten plus yard gain. It's just so ineffective. You know, I, I tweeted out yesterday that if if the season went terribly and Malarkey got fired, which shouldn't happen. I mean, he's still what is he a 500 coach over the last two years now, uh, being at two and three mm-hmm. and nine and seven last year. So no, so he's above. So I mean, he's an above 500 coach over the last two years with the Titans, which is better than they've had in a long time. So you know, everybody just calm down on that. But let's say let's say they don't win another game. Well, then you know, you've got a clean house. But I think that happens anyway. Like I think the offensive and defensive coordinators have to go, and if it's just going to be one of them. It's going to be LeBeau. They're going to, you know, they'll say he's either going to move, you know, to mm-hmm. an assistant head coaching job, and he's not going to be the defensive coordinator anymore, and they're going to bring in somebody like Bowles. Or he whatever. actually already is the assistant head coach. He is, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I know, but, like, you know, they'll, they'll give him some title. Like, he'll be, like, passing game special. It's some nonsense title where they can pay him $100,000 a year to let him retire gracefully. Because Mike Malarkey likes him, and... That whole organization has a ton of respect for him, and they should. He's he's a great, you know, he was a great defensive coordinator, you know, five, ten years ago, and you know he's not now, and that's why Pittsburgh let him go. You know, that that's something we all should have noticed. Is when Pittsburgh let one of their own legends go, it probably wasn't a great sign for what he was doing on the field. I don't, I don't think they let him go. I think he left under his own power. If I remember I, correctly, I, I can't imagine he would do that. I can't imagine he would leave under his own power when, but but even if he did, let's let's say he did. He stepped what, down. I mean, he stepped down. I again, they can say that. <laughs> yeah, but, <you're> right. <laughs> yeah. Butch Jones steps down from Tennessee tomorrow. It's not because he wants to. You know, it's just they're trying to let him retain some dignity, and they're doing that so that kind of like you know, how the Dolphins re- coach that snorted cocaine stepped down. Yeah. 
Yeah, like, <laughs> I, I don't know how far we're like legally allowed to go into that, but uh, yeah, like you know, like that, like it, you know, I don't. I, know I guess I should happened. say snorted a white powdery substance. Like, yeah, allegedly. Like I'm pretty sure it was him, and he said it was him, and he he stepped down. But we'll just go ahead and say allegedly uh, behind all that, just to kind of cover our faces. But, I don't know. Like he's got to go. Like, and you've got to get somebody who can run a four-three defense in here. Like, I think that's something that this team would look so much better with. You know, if you if you're dead set on Avery Williamson being on this team and you want to play him, fine. Put him at middle linebacker or strong side linebacker. Put Williamson or put Woodyard at the other spot, and who's playing the best football I've ever seen him play. And then put Brown at the other linebacker spot. Your defensive ends are uh, Derek Morgan and Brian Arakpo. Your defensive tackles are Casey back at three technique, where he had 10 sacks in a season, and Daquan mm-hmm. Jones and Austin Johnson rotating at the one. And then you've got a good front four, you know, and you're not going to drop Brian Arakpo there. So you automatically make your pass rush better by Brian Arakpo pass rushing on 100% of the plays instead of 60% of the plays. And I mean, that, you know, Maybe that's some guy we've never heard of, but it's got to be somebody who knows what they're doing and who's not kind of a washout from somewhere else. Yeah, I feel like we're just um, fitting square pegs into round holes with uh, with our defense because a lot of the, these guys are just better suited for a 4-3. Uh, and ever since we transitioned to 3-4, it just hasn't seemed hasn't seemed um, comfortable. I don't know. And it really it, it sure did seem out. comfortable back when it was uh... – uh, Sean Phillips and Derek Morgan as the edge oh. rushers, and yes, of course. We were here talking about Moses Foku before we started <laughs> recording. <laughs> yeah, just to let y'all in on what Sammy we talked Lee, about yeah. before they start. <laughs> so, um, another negative from yesterday, one that the Titans really couldn't control, were the bad calls from the officials. There was a, a phantom pass interference, a- offensive pass interference. On a Matt Ca- on what would have been a Matt Castle 59-yard touchdown throw to Delaney Walker, and then like two plays later, uh, Castle drops back, gets absolutely killed by Kiko Alonso, and the ball mm-hmm. came out. It actually went 12 yards, and there were no whistles. You couldn't hear any. At least the Titans claimed there was a whistle, uh, but it, it was ruled on the field a a fumble. And a, a recovery touchdown, which you 99% of the time in those situations, they wave it dead. And it either goes into review and becomes a fumble with a recovery and no return, or it, it stays incomplete. Regardless, those two calls uh, really changed the game for the Titans. And in a game where they weren't going to be able to do much, they certainly didn't need anything phantom to happen. Uh, did the Titans do something? To, to officials or the referees or the NFL because this is the second game this year that we've kind of gotten screwed by penalties. I mean, the first one being it's always game. such so ticky-tacky that the Titans, like even in the Seattle game when the Titans eviscerated the Seahawks, there was that Adoree Daxon kick return mm-hmm. that got called back. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand. But, I mean, the, these two calls were egregiously bad. I honestly the haven't offense? even watched They're the Janu play players. again, so I'm going to do that right now. Oh, no, no. You're going to lose your mind. Because he didn't <laughs> yes. do anything. He ran a route. No. That was it. And so, then uh, Delaney Walker makes a nice catch, so obviously it's a OPI because it's yeah. in Miami. So, okay, if, that's, if you're going to call that, that's fine. But before, 
I don't know, maybe four plays before when they were on when they were on offense, they ran a play to convert a third down where they stacked their wide receiver, their tight end in front of their wide receiver, or maybe it was a running back, and he goes off the ball and blocks the cornerback in front of him, and they run a pick play. The announcers called it a pick play. I'm sure everybody on 104.5 called it a pick play. And, I mean, it, it was it, that's what it was, and that's fine. You do that in the NFL now. You get away with those because that's just the way the league runs. To do that and then to immediately call an offensive pass interference on the other side of the field and call back a touchdown is, I, I mean, beyond ludicrous and beyond frustrating. There's, you know, without putting the explicit tag on this podcast, there's <laughs> no way that call should be made. There's no way. Uh, the, I mean, you don't take that away. You keep the flag in the pocket. They didn't mind keeping the flag in the pocket on the late hits that they were getting on Matt Castle the whole game. You know, they, they didn't mind the helmet to helmet. They, they don't mind all the forcible contact that they call for every other quarterback. But because Miami's a big city, I mean, uh, let me go ahead and say allegedly. Allegedly. Those refs were shaving points, and I don't care who tells me different. Allegedly. You know, but, but I mean, to call both of those plays back to back the way they did is a fireable offense. It's one of the worst calls I've ever seen. And it's not bad officiating. It's just negligent. It's just, it's being so incomprehensible. You can't comprehend how bad they were at their job. Uh, uh, It's almost like they let a mechanic perform open heart surgery. That's how bad the crossover (laughs) was. They didn't know what they were doing. They didn't know what they were calling. Their eyes weren't where they were supposed to be. They let themselves get talked into plenty of calls and talked out of plenty of calls. It was the one of the poorest performances I've ever seen by any group of individuals in any job. Wow. We're not even being biased. We're really no. not. It no, was just it, that bad. The announcers who yeah. but, you know, are never on the side of the Titans because they're never the big market team. And you always want to praise the big market team because that's where the jobs are and that's where the money, money is and you know, whatever. But – the the announcers were all on board with the fact that it was a bad call. They openly guys who get in trouble for saying this. They openly said it was a bad call, and they said it throughout the game that several of the calls were just you know very clearly skewed towards the Dolphins. You know, and Malarkey's going to get a fine for it for how he talked about it today. But good for him. Amy Adams should bump, Amy Adams Trump should bump up his money for this week, and she should pay him whatever those fines are because it was there was no reason to make those calls. And he, you know, he said it as kind of a polite way as he could. But he, you know, he told everybody in the press conference today. He said. I mean, he said, somebody's got to be held accountable. Whereas, direct words said, if I do a bad job, I'm going to be held accountable. You know, if one of my players does a bad job, we can look at film and say they're accountable. He says, there's no body right now to hold referees accountable for these bad calls. And even if there was, what are they going to do? You know, dock them a day's pay? It costs the Titans one of 16 chances to get a win in a season. You know, mm-hmm. that those two plays essentially caused the Titans' playoff percentages to drop 22% historically. You know, that being 3-2 and two and being 2-2 two and two have that much of a swing, you know, long, you know, over the last 40 years in terms of 3-2 and two teams getting the playoffs something like 44% of the times and, you know, 2-3 and three teams get in like 22% of the time. Uh, you know, it's just 
an egregious series of errors that have to be addressed by somebody, and they won't because Roger Goodell doesn't care about that. No, no, nobody officiate. No, you know, nobody is keeping the judge accountable. And when that happens, you're going to get stuff like this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I kind of, kind of feel bad about just uh, eviscerating uh, Dick LeBeau because if that touchdown never happened, which shouldn't have counted anyway. Uh, we would have won 10-9, which is just absolutely ridiculous on so many levels. But it was, it was just, I, I mean, I was infuriated as it is after the, the OPI call. Uh, but I was untethered with rage after the after the Matt Castle fumble call. I was, I've never been so mad in my life. Yeah, I mean, it, don't, don't feel bad for LeVeau. If he doesn't rush three or, you know, we're free occasionally right. since pressure, then maybe we make one big play on defense and, that, you know, so don't don't feel bad for him. You know, just remember the fifty seven point game that happened two weeks ago and don't feel bad for Dick LeBeau. Oh, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, we have not talked about that on this podcast. Oh yeah, because we, we were off it. last week. Yeah, because it's such a bitter memory in my mind. We can't rile me up to, you know, for, for the next ten minutes, but don't feel bad for Dick LeBeau. So I, I think we can all agree that we watched a really bad game of football yesterday, <laughs> and a lot of it had to do with the fact that the Titans didn't have Marcus Mariota. However, even with Marcus Mariota against the Texans last week, and I want to kind of bring this up because we weren't here last week to talk about this, they always get off to such slow starts. And it, it, I think it's been since uh, the game against the Green Bay Packers last year that the Titans have scored points on an opening possession. Oh, no, scratch that. They, they scored a touchdown against the Raiders on their opening drive. But, I mean, other than that, this team just cannot get off to quick starts. And so I want to pose the question of, and I talked about this when I was on Titans Tube yesterday, where do the Titans go from here? I want to hear what you two have to say about that. Because my opinion on that is you have to have a healthy Corey Davis. Not, just, not necessarily just a healthy Corey Davis, but a Corey Davis that has gotten his feet wet in the NFL. Because without Corey Davis, your receivers, other than uh, Delaney Walker, who's a tight end, are Eric Decker and Rashard Matthews. And after an entire offseason where all we ever talked about was you got to get better on the perimeter, you got to get better on the perimeter. Well, they got better on the perimeter. They drafted a receiver fifth overall in the draft, and he's done nothing. So uh, you're still left with, after all that talk about getting better on the perimeter, you're still left with Eric Decker and Rashard Matthews. And even with Mariota, that's not going to get you very far. Yeah, I mean, I don't, how many resources did we pour into this team on both offense and defense over the offseason? And uh, we're not seeing tangible results. I mean, what what has – Jonathan Cyprian's been hurt, right? Corey Davis has been hurt. Sure. Um, okay. There was an, uh, Sylvester Williams has done nothing. Uh, Logan well, that Ryan was bad. That was bad. has been kind of invisible, which I guess for a corner is better than, you know – uh, for a corner, fine. being invisible is better than us talking about how terrible he is. So I guess Logan yeah, Ryan's Paris been fine. Cox. Parrish Cox is not Parish on this Cox. team anymore. Uh, no, but that, that's, that's what I'm saying. Is like I don't remember a cornerback more more visible than Parrish Cox. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. So, so uh, you know, I... <laughs> we'll give Logan Ryan a pass, and we'll just say that he's 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 manned his position pretty well. But other, other than Ryan, uh, all of these additions that have been made over the offseason have really done nothing. And and honestly, of all of the offseason additions, you could make an argument that Jonu Smith, the second of two third-round picks and our fourth overall pick from the draft, has been the most productive through five games. Yeah, um, 
that's that's not how we expected this to go. I mean, we're cool that he's been playing very well. Uh, he really has. But I mean, where's Taiwan Taylor? He's not getting the ball. Uh, Decker looks like oh my god. I, I guess maybe it's a, they just weren't good additions. Honestly, you know, in Decker's credit, he catches everything that that's thrown his way. But unfortunately, sure. he's never open for something to be thrown his way. It kind of seemed like he was getting into a little bit of a rhythm uh, on one drive. Yeah, um, it did. Throwing it did. Him some right. quick passes, and then we just never went to him again because why? Why would we? You know that that makes no sense. But I don't know. It, um, I'm just I'm kind of like uh, demoralized as a fan right now. I know it's a long <laughs> season, but watching Matt Castle just. Uh, Really He'll takes the life out of you. It'll, yeah, it'll do that. <laughs> it really drain you. It's it's real. You know, it's a real trial for our fan base. But yeah. okay, so let's talk about it. Like Corey Davis, when he was in, you know, when he was healthy, you know, somewhat or whatever for the Raiders game, he was a really good receiver. I mean, it, he you know made that leaping catch. You know, between him, Rashard Matthews, and Taewon Taylor, I have all the confidence in the world that by the end of the season, if they all can stay healthy and get healthy for Corey Davis, they'll all be a good, you know, trio of wide receivers. Taewon Taylor's lack of use. Now he has, he's been getting more and more snaps every week. He played something like 36 this past week, but Matt Castle legitimately in the second half, they made the decision to make him go one read or throw it away. And I mean, you know, that's that's kind of what you have to do with Matt Castle. And in that situation, your read isn't going to be, you know, your speed demon who can burn everybody deep. You know, you're going to have to have Mariota for that, you know, somebody who can actually throw the ball downfield. Or, you know, if you're going to fit a ball into the tight window like the slant over the middle, you've got to have Mariota who can put it on him instead of Matt Castle who, you know, the ball could be tipped and picked at any time. So, you know, Taewon, now Taewon Taylor's game is – not limited to those things, but those are the times I think he could make the big play that you really need. So I, I'm kind of going to keep Taewon Taylor, you know, in the you know yellow light category. Like he had, he's been good when he's been given opportunities. He, you know, there was almost that long run he would have had against the Seahawks if he wasn't just barely held up by Shaq Griffin on the side. Of, I mean, he almost just took it to the house. But you know, you can't give him credit for a touchdown he didn't score. But, you know, you look, Corey Davis, I think he'll be great. Adoree Jackson, getting better and better every game. Taewon Taylor should be an impact player, especially with a good quarterback. Uh, Jonu Smith, good player. Jayon Brown should be the starting linebacker on this team. It should be Woodyard and, and, John, and Jayon Brown, and there's there's not even a discussion to argue with me. So, I mean, if they if they would let him play more, I have full confidence that he would make more plays. I mean, there was a you know there's a third down play where Devonte it was somebody it was one of their receivers was cutting across the field and it was one of those plays where you just put your hands over your face and you know over the last three years we've seen guys cut across the field and end up getting 15 yards on third and 14 and it's just made you pull your hair out but Jayon Brown there to make the tackle and it's a fourth down and they punt so. You know, guys like that, I'm not – I mean, I'm not ready to mark those guys off. And I know we're not talking about that, but those guys have made an impact on the team. I just think, you know, when Mariota's in, this team scores more than two more touchdowns a game. Uh, you know, the defense doesn't have to play perfect football and something I don't think they're capable of doing. I think in four weeks we'll be a lot more confident about the new additions than we are right now. Mm. 
I just don't understand how Taiwan Taylor gets one touch when Corey Davis isn't playing. Yeah. How does Terry that make Bis- any sense? Terry Biskey's your offensive coordinator. That's exactly how that happens. And Matt Castle's your quarterback. So he's in for 38 plays and he's a decoy on 37. Yeah, but like even in college, Taiwan was like really good uh, in the short area, short intermediate area. I feel like Castle could have hit him for a couple plays. Guess not, though. He only played half the snaps and he barely got a look. So, well, I mean, they they were they were like pretty clearly trying to. I I mean, I haven't rewatched it, but it looked pretty clear that they were trying to go Eric Decker, you know, put it on a big body and let him kind of fall forward, try to find Rashard Matthews, get another guy who can jump and make those big catches. Cause they knew castle didn't have the accuracy and Taewon Taylor's got a wider catch radius than we think. But you know, when we saw him in the preseason, he did have a couple of drops and he wasn't as effective as he's been in short bursts, you know, with the Titans now, but you know, I have to think if Corey Davis was out there, he would have been the guy that they had out wide where Eric Decker was playing. Mm-hmm. They would have thrown him the ball, you know, four or five times a drive and really force-fed him like Watson force-feeds uh, Hopkins on some drives. Like, I think that's the attention he would have gotten. So, But, you know, he's not healthy, so you have to have another game plan, and why don't you give it to one of your most dynamic players with the ball in his hand? I don't know. I'm not Terry Rubisky, but, like, so, you know, <laughs> somebody has to ask him that question in the meeting rooms. I mean – You've yeah. got to say you've got one guy who can outrun everybody, and instead you're throwing it to guys who are going to put you in second two instead of first, you know, first, and you just gained 15. So, I don't know. So, with the Titans performing the way they have been, uh, it's fair to wonder at this point. Uh, and again, this might this answer might change in in three weeks, as you kind of hinted at. Will who who is the best team in the AFC South right now? Because it's, it's kind of a bizarre division. The Texans will get steamrolled one week and then beat the Titans 57-14. to And the Titans will go into Jacksonville and win, win in a commanding final score and bully them and run the ball down their throats. And then the next week, Jacksonville goes into Pittsburgh, forces five turnovers, and Leonard Fournette has a field day against a really good defensive front. What do you guys make of this division, and who do you think right now is the best team? At this point in time, I think the Jaguars are better just because Marcus Mariota is injured. Uh, so I can't really, can't really truly uh, uh, make a decision. And I, I'll, um, I'm going to say this first. Uh, let's say the Colts do in in two weeks get a healthy Andrew Luck. They're still the worst team in this division. I think. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah. And I think the Texans are going to start falling apart uh, because losing J.J. Watt and Whitney Merciless is just a massive blow to your defense, which is pretty much the only reason that they've been uh, good in recent years. So I don't think they're even a threat at this point. I I have no idea how you make up J.J. Watt and Whitney Merciless. Uh, I still think the Titans should win the division, but, I mean, how do you lose 57-14 to to the Houston Texans and and then not even beat the Dolphins? I know Matt Castle was a quarterback, but... That loss to the Texans was just it really it really put a damper on on my expectations uh, and the Jaguars I think they own like the league's best point differential right now so I don't know how you can say that they're not the best team in the division. Uh, I'll, I'll do that. Uh, I don't the <laughs> best team in the division. Uh, so I mean I'll, I'll pick the Titans. So the Texans lost their best defensive player and JJ Watt last night. Um, so that's a big blow to them. Like, I, 
Uh, okay, so I'm not a huge Deshaun Watson guy, but he's been, he's been really good. But I don't think teams have brought enough pressure on him, and I think we'll see a trend as the season goes on. But if you're dependent on Deshaun Watson to score, you know, 40 points a game because your best two defensive players are out, and all you've got to hang your hat on is Clowney, you're in a lot of trouble. Um, the, the Patriots showed how just how easily all that can happen last year when they just picked apart that team. But so the Texans are out. Um, Colts are all already out the Jaguars. So here, here's the way it's going to happen is eventually teams are going to figure out, put eight in the box, just, you know, trust your corners to play man coverage and send run blitzes. And then on the 40th time that they give Leonard Fortnette the ball, then eventually, you know, he might get a hundred yards, but, uh, you know, they threw the Jaguars threw one pass in the second half, one pass in the second, and it was an incompletion. Uh, and then they tried to drop back for another pass, and they got sacked. So, when your entire second half is spent with one incompletion and a sack and no completions, the other team should win that game. Ben Roethlisberger had five interceptions. Five interceptions. <laughs> ben Roethlisberger may be washed. Like he may just he be is. done. Yes. I, I mean. He he is he has not had a single good game all year. So as good as it is for the Jaguars that they beat the Steelers, and congratulations, I'm not giving them a ton of credit for their win against the Ravens because well their win against the Ravens like they always win in London because they basically have already moved there. So I mean they're three and zero and no team ever plays well in London other than them. So okay that's fine. Then we saw what happened to Saxonville when they went against a decent offensive line in the Titans. So, you know, if you're if you're saying, you know, they've got a better defense, I'm going to say the Titans have a better offense than they do by a pretty mm-hmm. wide margin. So, I, I mean, if those, you know, if you're splitting it like that and you're saying, okay, who's who's going to make the plays that change the game? I think a Dory Jackson could do that for the Titans. I think a healthy Corey Davis could do that for the Titans. I think, you know... Derrick Henry, by the time we play him again, you know, I think that our playmakers are better than their playmakers. So, you know, I, I give the nod to the Titans because they play a very specific specific, style of defense. It's man-to-man on the outside, and if you can beat one of our guys, great. And Taewon Taylor can beat A.J. Boye. He showed it in his, like, one snap against him. So... You know, if I'm still trying to pick the winner of the AFC South, I'm picking the Titans. You know what the worst part of this last week and the Jaguars win was, right? Fournette had a 90-yard touchdown, and now his yards per carry has shot up to 4.3. It would be 3.3 without yeah. that run. I mean, yeah, with the Jaguars, it was what Blake, Blake Bortles threw like or completed like 12 passes in a blowout win. How often does that happen? It happened in week one. Yeah, like that's how, that's how they've got to win, though. It's like they've got to trust that the other quarterback is just going to completely lose their mind and, like, give everything <laughs> away. Which is what has happened. Well, it didn't which happen is, with the Titans, which is no. good. But, I mean, if we're getting blown out by the Texans by that much, it, it might not matter because we only play the Jaguars one more time. That's fair. So we, we have a couple minutes left. Uh, I want to pose this question as we close, mainly because I'm kind of tired of talking about this game from yesterday just because it was so bad. Um, 
who is the best player on the Titans roster right now? Uh, my opinion has changed since the start of the season. I was very mm-hmm. much sold on uh, Jarrell Casey in that position, uh, but because he's done kind of nothing this year so far, uh, I would say that Taylor Lewan is the best player on this team. He, he's the become, best. He, he's becoming the best offensive le- left tackle in the league, other than guys like Trent Williams and Tyron Smith and Joe Thomas is aging, but but he is in that tier now, and he is he's remarkable. I think. It, this question is easy. It's Brett Kern. It's not even close. Oh, yeah, yesterday <laughs> for sure. He's unbelievable. I have no idea where we'd be if our punter his, was bad. His best punt, which was 71 yards, came on the punt where the ball was literally barely not into the end zone. It's like the, yeah. the, the, the edge of the oblong ball is sitting right on the edge of the, the white line for, for the, the, the goal line. And so Brett Kern, his feet are standing at the back of the end zone. And because of that, he, th- he, he takes the snap, and he's only able to take one step forward and just kind of jab at it. And that was his mm-hmm. best punt of the game. <laughs> yeah, he's unreal. And so is Ryan Suckup, honestly. Our, our two special teams guys are fantastic. Um, but if you want me to actually pick and, and not, not pick a punter, uh, it, I think it's Mariota. I, I think this game showed it, and the games in the past have shown just like just how bad we really can be without him and how important he is and uh, some of the things that he hides just by being as good as he is. Yeah, I mean, it, it's got to be Mariota, and then uh, Taylor Lewan and Conklin both make a lot of sense. Like, I think Conklin gets kind of a bad rap, but the, that side of the ball on the, on that right side, the defensive left side, is getting progressively better and harder to stop. So I think he gets a lot of crap for stuff that's not necessarily his fault. Um, Lewan is good. I think you've got to go Delaney Walker. I mean, Delaney hmm. Walker just does too hmm. much stuff too well. I, I, I mean, he's your best receiver. He can block fine. I, I, I don't I, – but it, after five games, I'm just not in love with anybody on this team other than, you know, Taylor Lewan, who I've always thought was one of the best offensive tackles in the NFL. Like, I mean, for the last two years, maybe the last 18 games, uh, something like that, I mean, he's been absolutely dominant since he, since he got his shoulder fixed. I mean, he's been – one of, if not the best young left tackles in the league. And people will mention Bakhtiari and people will say Tyron Smith, and that's fine. But Tyron Smith has back problems, which are never a good thing. Ask J.J. Watt. They always lead to bad things. It's ne- It never works out well. So uh, we're out of time. So that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, we're going to put this game behind us, never talk about it again. Uh, um, next week, uh, the, the Titans will face off against the Indianapolis Colts. On Monday Night Football, in a matchup that could be Jacoby Brissett versus Matt Castle, um, we'll, we'll we'll talk more about that game later in the week on our preview episode. Uh, but until then, for Matthias Wadner, Will Lomas, I'm Luke Worsham. Thank you for listening to the Titan Size Podcast. We will talk to everybody later in the week. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. 
With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.